The Next Round, a marketing inspiration podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Next Round, the AAR podcast about the transformation in marketing of some of the UK's most famous brands. I'm your host, Robin Charney, and I've been working in digital and marketing for over 20 years and now help other marketers with their business challenges as the lead consultant for the ecosystem design practice here at AAR. Each episode is a fast-paced conversation with a super smart marketing leader sharing the story of their heritage brand, its history, transformation, and most importantly, its next round. Why heritage brands? Because their evolution is more interesting, richer, and more complex. And frankly, we've all got something to learn from them. Today, I'm chatting to Caroline Hipperson, CMO of Platis, owner of brands you know and love like McVitie's, Cars, and Jacobs, which includes my favorites, Twiglets, and Mini Cheddars. Although, I must say, I'm also a massive Hobnob fan. Hey, Caroline, welcome to the next round. Hi, Robin. So excited to be here. So glad you could join us. Um, and I will be asking you to name your favorite snack. So I know I know it's always hard to choose amongst your children, but I will be asking the tough questions, Caroline. <laughs> Let me tell <laughs> you a bit okay. about Caroline. Um, Caroline's been working in FMCG marketing for almost 25 years and has worked in nearly every country and region in the world. Her experience includes global companies like Unilever, GlaxoSmithKline and Bacardi, and also UK-based companies like Holland & Barrett. Caroline joined Platis in April 2020. Great time. Just just on the eve of the first national lockdown, you lucky woman. And is CMO across all their full brand portfolio in the UK and Ireland, as well as holding global responsibility for the McVitie's brand. Let's jump in. I wanted to talk to you first off just a little bit about some market dynamics. You know, the you've been in FMCG your whole career, so I'm sure you've seen, you know, massive transformation. But it's definitely one of the verticals going through, you know, so much, so much change, you know, routes to market, the way you do comms, regulation. I'd love to kick off by hearing a bit from you on, I guess, your view on the sector, but also what are the biggest changes you're seeing and, and what challenges does that bring for you as a marketer? Yeah, thanks for that question, Robin. I mean, having been in FMCG my whole career, I can safely say it's the most exciting industry there is to work in. <laughs> and uh, it has never been more exciting than now because fast moving consumer goods have just got faster. Um, and it's so speedy right now. It's as a marketeer, the biggest challenge for us all is just to keep up, frankly, and to understand the changes in trends, consumers crying out for ever more new experiences, the changes in government regulations, as you mentioned, Robin, whether it's food taxes or, or other regulations. Um, but also in terms of food uh, marketing and FMCG, it's also regulations which are related to health and wellness. And what excites me about the industry at the moment is actually that pace. I love the pace. Um, it is nurturing creativity. Uh, it gives the opportunity for good marketeers and good creators to really get ahead. Because if you have that constant change, nothing is stable. And if nothing is stable, you actually have an advantage if you're a really creative marketeer. It's exactly the case of so many of the marketeers that I've been talking to in, in FMCG. It's just the pace, pace, pace. And I imagine food specifically, I guess, versus, uh, I don't know, deodorant and shampoo has got to have its own challenges. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. Because as we think about wanting to escape in the daily life that we lead and never has that been more prevalent than today because you were wanting to traveling without being able to travel mm. and just craving new experiences. The way we tend to do that is through shared experiences with loved ones, close loved ones, and food is at the heart of those occasions. 
and consumers are more and more intrigued by trying new experiences, especially when it comes to in-home consumption, where we like to experiment more, try new flavors, try new formats. Um, you see more innovation in this market today than you ever have. Yeah, it's incredible. And I guess the barrier to entry is quite low if you just want to try a new flavor or, you know, you know, it's not hundreds and hundreds of pounds, is it? It's a lovely pleasure. But what's exciting about it is that as a marketeer, you really have the opportunity to create the next trend. Um, and if you just understand people's psyche and behavior in this ever-changing time, you really have a massive opportunity to create something very exciting. It is. It sounds great. You personally have a track record of going into jobs and you know what I guess I would call not unkindly but a bit dusty brands brands who need a bit of a of a next round who need a bit of a reset who have kind of you know they're great heritage brands but they just need a bit of updating I guess as you said because the speed is so fast what is it about those types of brands that that attract you you know I always tend to think of brands as, as people mm. so these older brands they often have an old soul but they're created from somewhere. They have a place in our, all our hearts for a reason. Often, or even most of them were created by a very entrepreneurial person or a team of people, um, sometimes hundreds of years ago. But it was all born out of a creative idea that somebody had at, this, at that time. And then they built into being premium brands. So I think the challenge, the very exciting challenge for today's marketeer is to understand the soul of that brand. Why was it found and why was it popular 130 years ago? What was so special about it? And what role did it take in consumers' lives then? And how can I therefore take this brand and that brand soul to be relevant for people today and communicate and connect with people in the right way, but also innovate in the right way? That's why I find heritage brands so fascinating, isn't it? And with you, I mean, you've got McVitie's, 1809, Cars, 1831, Jacobs, 1851. And they were all, I know this sounds obvious, they were all people, weren't they? They were actual people who, who you know, bakers who founded these brands and had a vision and a story at the time. And I think it gives you such a rich heritage. And I want to ask you, given that you are going through a, a marketing transformation and a reset, as you said, how do those stories help? Or how does that history help in the way you're moving you know, Platis and the individual brands forward, because you are going through a transformation as Platis, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely, we are. And, and for the better, I think companies that stand still don't go anywhere by definition. Mm, mm. So we, we do have to, but in our case, it's probably bigger than in most cases. Um, why is it relevant and, and why does it help us? Um, so if you really understand why the Jacobs brothers, for instance, invented the Jacobs brand back in the days, um, if you truly understand their vision behind it, you can also understand why their products became so popular, what's unique behind the original recipe, and then what makes it relevant in today. So I think actually having that history really helps us be authentic, us to be real, and to have real connection with people and consumers of today. So that's the real help. If, if you're a brand, let's say, that don't have a history I guess it's put even more pressure on yourself to create relevance in the day day and age. If you're already born with relevance, what you need to do is make sure to keep that updated over time. So I actually think it's an advantage to have a rich heritage. What you must do, of course, is to make sure it doesn't stay in the past. 
but that you continue to involve with the with trends and, and people's behaviors and wants and needs and desires. And that makes perfect sense. And and brand having its kind of customer centric approach. And as you said, putting people and yeah. and what, what people want at the center of what marketing needs to deliver. Has that meant that you're also going through a marketing transformation? That that's for sure. So what's kind of happening there? Maybe talk us through that area a little bit. When I joined a company in April last year, and as you say, in the middle of um, the first lockdown or the pandemic, which was an experience in itself, mm. um, we um, were very siloed in our way of doing marketing. So we organized like business units. Okay. Um, so let's say the brand manager on McVitie's didn't talk to the brand manager on Jacobs, etc. And we didn't share insight either across the different groups. Um, so very, very commercially driven, uh, not a bad thing in itself, but if it means that you're silent in conversations and importantly, in your understanding of consumers, um, that's not a good thing. So my task was to bring together the marketing organization to build capability across all of our fields versus whether it's insight or innovation, brand building and creativity to bring together, I would call it actually a bit more of a traditional way of organizing marketing where you had brand directors, marketing directors and marketing teams for each brand division and then shared insights and innovation functions to work across all of our brands. Okay, so you've reorganized people to be more collaborative, really. Yes, yeah, you could say and be more collaborative and most importantly, to get the best out of everyone. Um, so we have massively increased our capability. Nearly half of our organization are actually new from this calendar year. Wow. So what kind of marketing capabilities are you finding that you need in order to build a, a kind of modern team? Quite a few different things. I would say first and foremost, creativity. Mm. So creativity is the center of everything we do. So we needed an organization that nurtured new ideas and also could bring those ideas to life. So it's mm-hmm. everything from developing the bigger thinking, the long-term vision into brilliant execution in the marketplace. Um, and when you work in silos, that didn't exist. Um, but now that we all work together as one unified function, that's our focus. So we have people working on front-end innovation programs. And we also have people who are brilliant executors um, at mm-hmm. the front of store. I love the story about creativity mm. being the skill. And it, it's such a hard one to define at times. Is it the case of you know it when you see it in a person? It's a very good It's question, really Robbie. hard. I mean, I'm asking you an <laughs> so impossible hard. question, but I'm, I'm fascinated because we talk to so many marketeers about what we call creative capital. And it's about building the creative capital of your brand and your company. And, and to us, that's just about uh, new ideas and fresh perspectives. And that's how we define it. I'd love to hear how you look for it and hire for it because it's hard. It is very hard, actually, to find it. I, I would say you you see it in people. It's a difficult thing. It, it I would say it's almost the same as when you define leadership. Define how you recruit and hire a good leader, right? It becomes all about the soft skill, the, the understanding. And in the t- case of creativity, I would say the ability to put yourselves into somebody else's minds or shoes, whatever the latest expression is, to really being able to understand people and then think, oh, I've got a solution for that. I can think of an idea of that, whether it's a product or a way of talking to them, etc. And also being open to ideas and not being closed. So it's acting like sponges. And if there's one word I would use to describe it, it's curiosity. So if you're curious about the world, 
people, products, competitors, um, marketplaces. And if you if you have that natural curiosity and also way of processing it and then bring it into ideas, that's really what we're looking for. That's such a smart way of thinking about it. And I'm curious, how does that impact or I guess augment your relationships with your agencies? Because, you know, traditionally creativity, you kind of outsourced it in many ways, didn't you? It was what you bought in from the, you know, wonderful agencies that you work with. How does that work with your agencies then? The way I'd like to see the agency network is just an extension of our team. Because I think only when we feel like one big team, rather than who's paying who and who's briefing who on what, only then we can really get everyone you know, singing to the same tune, if you like, or delivering against the same objectives. Of course, there needs to be conversations about fees and structures and all of that. But I would say keep them on the side and then let the teams really flow as one team um, and build the relationship, work on the relationships in the same way as you would work on a relationship with your colleague um, that's within the same company. Because really, we really are here to do the same thing. Have you started to think about what you insource and outsource? Is that layer of thinking baked into how you've reorganized the team? Because so many brands are are kind of having an active conversation about outsourcing more or insourcing more. And I just want to know if you had a point of view on it. I do. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it depends on the company, um, on your uh, commercial structure. You know, how much headcount mm-hmm. do you feel you can mm-hmm. afford to have on your ongoing P&L versus the flexibility you feel you need to build in? And where do you want that flexibility to be? And often when you look at outsourcing models, they're there to create flexibility in the short term. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I would say my, my starting point would be to say we hire well-rounded marketeers who knows how to do the full job in all its facets. Mm-hmm. And we work with agencies who are partnering with us to deliver that rather than saying we're going to outsource digital or e-commerce or something like that, which I think was often a a model of the past. Now, at Plotis, we don't have an in-house agency. We believe in the model here that um, that's better done with the people that knows it the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so all our um, agency work, if you like, sits with agency. Uh, all our creative development sits with agencies. But again, long-standing relationships rather than shorter ones. And what do you think are some of the advantages of a long-standing relationship? What do you think that brings? Business understanding, mm. brand understanding, and an understanding of each other. So if you really want to have those real conversations, uh, they're difficult to have with somebody you don't know. Do you have a tip or an example of how you're building those relationships? Because in the last year, it's been so challenging. So have you gotten any yeah. advice on what you've, or examples of what you've done in the last year or so to kind of keep it fresh and keep it uh, productive? I, I bring up one example, actually. So our, um, with our main agency, TBWA in our case, um, we have a very close relationship and um, we identified a um, a discussion that seemed to be happening both within the agency and within the company at the same time. Um, so myself and my uh, partner in crime at TVWA, Katie, we got our heads together saying we need to tackle this jointly rather than treating us two different issues, conversations, and decided to have uh, shared workshops and conversations with our teams. And in, in this case, the, the conversation we I'm talking about what's around diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We both had had some 
difficulties, some difficult discussions within our companies, uh, but also some very positive developments um, that we wanted to bring up to the surface. So rather than tackling them on our own, we decided we would be tackling them together. Uh, I think that's typically how you really gel as a team and how you really build culture combined together. Because I think when our respective team heard from both of us, having exactly the same agenda, exactly the same objectives, and in fact, going through exactly the same journey, um, I think then you feel really like one big team. Um, So how does this then all feed into the culture you're trying to build? Because obviously coming into a new role and resetting a team and being, I guess, being aware of the long history and, and, you know, the ways of doing things in the past, how are you hoping to reset the culture within the team? Culture is always difficult to define on five words or, or, you know, put in frosting into a glass somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's what we live in, it's what we live and breathe every day. No, but I think it's actually common misunderstanding is that if we're all clear on what the culture is, surely the culture will get better. I'm not so sure that's true. But if we all treat each other with respect and integrity and are clear on what we want to achieve together, then that is what's creating culture. I couldn't agree more. It's 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 hard to define, but you know when it's not working particularly well. Also, yeah. sometimes you just need to leave it alone because it's actually fine. I think one challenge that we definitely have is that um, we started saying that FMCG is incredibly fast moving. And mm-hmm. amongst FMCG, food is probably the, the fastest of them all. When you work in such a fast environment, how do you make sure you don't lose sight of the future uh, and creating for the future and curiosity about the environment you're in when you constantly make, um, have a daily chase on that extra case or extra point of market share or competitive mm-hmm. launch you need to, to battle with? And that's a, that's a live topic with us at the moment. It's, it's not an easy balance to strike. Any advice for other FMCG marketers out there? Because I think it's, you know, I mean, even in the industry I'm at, it's it's hard to kind of stop and, and make yourself stop and kind of give yourself a little bit of space to to create and think creatively and and meander. You know, I, I always say I have a magpie mind and that I kind of flit from things to things, which some people see as an advantage and others don't. But is there anything you do specifically for your team that allows them to have that time to, to kind of think and process? Do you know, I think we're not getting it fully right at the moment. Um, I'd rather be honest to say that. Um, I think we focus, perhaps over-focus a bit on the here and now. And and I'd like us, though, to have more focus for the future. And it's a very uh, hot topic at the moment. We all want the same thing. So what I'm describing and what we want is a desire from all of us in, in the marketing function and the wider company um, so we have a few initiatives um, in place at the moment where we go out and immerse with consumers, where we make sure we take a day a month out of the office, etc., uh, where we visit the trade more, uh, speak to people more and listen more. Uh, but we're not fully there yet. Oh, that sounds like a great start. Just kind of getting out of the office is often half the battle, isn't it? And leaving leaving the email behind for a day or so. <laughs> It's hard. It is really hard. I wanted to talk to you a little bit also about sustainability. You know, I, I kind of look at the CMO's to-do list, which is always very, very long, obviously. <laughs> but I think, you know, looking from the outside in, it feels like the priorities have really shifted in the last two years. You know, there were different things on the top five things that you were worried about and keeping you up at night. Mm. And it feels like certainly DNI and sustainability have risen right to the top. Is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. It's, it's always been there. And I think mm. I am going to use my Swedish heritage here. Being born in a, in a grown up in a country where sustainability was a, a given. Mm. Um, I think um, 
a few years back, 10, 15 years back, I probably struggled with why that wasn't the case in the UK. Um, so I moved here in 2004 already, and I was quite surprised about the lack of a sustainability agenda um, in the country, to mm-hmm. be fair. Um, I mean, sustainability today is, is, yes, it's part of brand building, but I would say it's also all of our human responsibilities. Um, you know, it's acute the situation we're in, uh, where the planet is at the moment, that we've all got to play our part. Um, so that's the starting point, if you like, and every company needs to do it. And we are doing that. Um, now, of course, if you think about consumer choice and sustainability for the younger generations, and with that, I don't mean 15-year-olds, uh, you know, majority of, of the younger population, I would say, especially it's a table stake. doesn't mm-hmm. matter how delicious your product is. If you put the wrong stuff in it or the wrong packaging around it, it's just not worth it. There's other choice. There's too much choice. So why would you choose the one that is maybe fractionally more yummy to, uh, but you will have an impact on the environment. You know, people just don't make that kind of choices today. So it's something that is and should be high up on our agenda. It's a huge challenge, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and one that's not kind of an easy, an easy one to cross off the CMOs list. It's going to be there and it should be there for a very long time. And it's just one more thing for the CMO to manage in addition to all the other kind of issues that the last couple of years have sort of kind of brought up. So I want to talk to you about that in terms of the CMO to-do list. What what of all those things on your very long to-do list, what keeps you up at night? What are you most worried about, concerned about in your role? The main thing has got to be the team. Hmm. The team that works with me, around me to make sure that they operate in an environment that makes them successful. Because ultimately, I feel it's the CMO's biggest role is to lead mm-hmm. and to set direction and remove barriers and create opportunities for the rest of the team. What's the next round for you personally and for Platis? For me personally, is um, we're all back together now in the office. So we're very lucky. We're actually moved into new offices in Shisik Park just very recently over the summer. Um, now that we're back together, I think we can start implementing some of those real connected ways of working. Uh, so I'm, that's where I'm very excited about. There's actually still people that come into the office now that I've never met, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah, it's just a different world. So for me, leading the team in a more personal and connected way is probably what I'm looking forward to, to most in the next few months. And fingers crossed for all of us, we won't go into another lockdown. So it, it can continue to be a possibility for us all. Um, in my own development, um, I guess I'm fairly new to the company still. Mm. You know, I've been a year and a half in my role. Um, so about um, getting to know the company in a, in a global sense, in a, in a stronger way, being able to travel to see my colleagues from different markets, learn from them, adapt from them, maybe steal a few things. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, a few best practices and maybe products that I spot in other markets and, um Learning how to operate as a global organization again. I think the, the situation we're all in has just made us quite siloed, right? And what about Platus? Where do you see your biggest challenge and opportunity for the rest of this year, for example? The biggest challenge is, in the, is the commercial environment we're operating within. So the government regulations around high fat, high salted sugar mm-hmm. products um, coming in. Um, now, to be honest with you, that's just kind of fast-tracking a trend that was already there, that consumers want healthier products and care about what they put inside their bodies. So I'm not so 
surprised by it or or even that much against it. It's just that it puts challenges to where the way we operate and what we need to do when, and, and perhaps not always to the benefit of consumers, unfortunately. Um, so we, we need to um, get around those hurdles and use them to our advantage. But then for Plaudis in, in a global perspective, we're a fairly new company. We're only about five years old. Um, we're effectively three big companies that have joined together. We've got an Olga company, which is effectively the equivalent of the United Biscuits in the UK, but in mm-hmm. Turkey. Uh, and then we have the Godiva company operated out of New York, uh, a much more of a luxury goods company. And with the three coming together, you have three different cultures and ways of working coming together. And I think right now is a, actually an excellent opportunity to learn from each other, uh, get best practices, both in terms of leadership and operating models and innovation more than anything else. It's fascinating. Well, I am going to make you name your favorite brand. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. <laughs> or choose choose the one you enjoy consuming the most. There you go. I'll give you that. What Which one of all the brands that you look after do you take the most pleasure from consuming? What's your Ooh. guilty pleasure? I, I'm, I've got to say it's a milk chocolate hot bob. Mm. <laughs> it I don't really disagree is. with you. Yeah, no, it's, it's a classic, good one, isn't it? It is. It's just, and it's also so difficult just to have one. I, I have learned now. Well, that's your this. fault, isn't it? <laughs> as, the, as a CMO, I can blame you directly for the fact that I can, not only, I can only have four hobnobs at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are so delicious, that oaty crunch and then the yummy chocolate. It's just perfect, isn't it? It is. It's the perfect combination. I, I, there's nothing I would do. To, don't ever mash it up. Don't change it. Don't no, leave I it. Promise. Just leave it be. <laughs> I will leave it there. And I will say thank you very, very much for your time. It's been a really interesting, fascinating conversation. I'm equally hungry and excited at the end of this. <laughs> and, uh, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Robin. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Next Round. I hope you found it as interesting as I did and can take some insights back to your own marketing. If you could rate and share this podcast, it would really help others to find these great stories. I'd also love to carry on the conversation and hear what you think. We'll be sharing and chatting about it on LinkedIn and Twitter. The Next Round is brought to you by AAR, the experts in marketing ecosystems. At AAR, we are a multidisciplined team of consultants who have strong and well-informed views on what brands need to do to overcome today's marketing challenges in order to better connect their businesses to their customers and drive growth. Thanks for listening and see you next time.